Jacob Albrot, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Hour number two of Sports Daily. Max, can we kill that return audio, please? We are getting ready for hour number two with Dan Israel, the executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. Excited to have Dan in. Dan, we've spent a lot of time here uh, on Monday Night Football, and as we look at the results and we see Miami fall, a reminder that everybody's capable of these. The Chiefs have certainly been capable their fair share lately, how are you? And uh, it's it's feels like it's unraveling a little bit up there in Kansas City. Are you getting the same vibe? Do we have Dan? We may have lost Dan, so we'll work on that. There, you uh, there he is. There, there we is. go. Hey, Dan, what's going on? Hey, guys, I think it feels like it's unraveling a little bit outside the the locker room. I'm not so sure yet inside the locker room has that kind of feel to it. So I guess as things go, you know, if you're going to have one side feel like it's unraveling, that's the side you want is the the fandom. But, uh, you know, it's hard. It's a hard one to stomach. Week 14 was, as you mentioned, full full of kind of upsets, and the Chiefs were one of those. I just – I. I left that night feeling cheated. I, I just no way about it. And, it. and it wasn't just because we lost the game. I just felt like, and then I just felt like there were so many bad calls in that game. And, and I'm not trying to blame officiating, but it was really lopsided. I think we were already before the big call that everybody's talking about with Kadarius Tony. We were already talking off the air that we had counted seven calls that were anywhere from you know benign to to egregious you know how they thought Patrick Mahomes fumbled the ball on that pass and there was just it was just a weird feeling and I and I felt like we weren't getting beat by another team I felt like we were kind of getting you know just beat by the situation I know they're not using that as an excuse but that's the way I walk when I drove out of the parking lot Sunday night, I felt like I had seen one of the better plays in my career by a tight end, and now it meant nothing because, you know, something that happens ten times a game, you saw it last night if you were watching Monday Night Football. Guys were lined up over the line, and, and I get it. It's, you know, it's not supposed to happen. It's a penalty. You can't blame the refs for calling a penalty. Well, you can when Tony had done it six previous times in that game and nobody called him on it. Uh, I think there's there's an inequity that exists in the NFL officiating that has to get fixed. Again, not saying that's why the Chiefs lost, but I'm getting tired of talking about referees. And, and unfortunately, uh, this particular crew, which is always graded poorly, nothing's changing. You know, I mean, nobody's holding them accountable to anything. That's frustrating to me. You know, Dan, I think the the big difference between the game on – Sunday and then other times where there have been situations with you know referees and, and that sort of thing the difference was the uh, visible and vocal responses 
from two guys that typically don't do that sort of thing, and that's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, everybody knows the way that Mahomes reacted on the field and then in, in, in postgame and then Andy Reid in postgame and all of that. What was your vibe following the game with those two and then the way that things stand as of right now? Yeah, they, they I don't think they technically delayed opening the locker room afterwards, but it was they were trying PR staff, the equipment staff, they were trying desperately to kind of calm everybody down. I've never seen it like that. And I think part of that comes on the heels of the Green Bay game where they kept their mouth shut when this penalty wasn't called, that should have been called, that could have been a game changer. And I think they, you know, they were they were being good sports about that saying, "Hey, look, you know, if they let us play, then we just have to live with that and and that's what we'll do." And then to have it kind of ripped out of their hands. I mean, you know, taking points off the board is such a big deal. And I, I've never seen Mahomes like that. I've never seen Andy Reid in 10 years like that. Uh, he was very gracious with me in his office, but it's as short a lock, it's as short a press conference as I've ever seen. I've never seen him walk off stage like that. And so it was definitely, in fact, uh, I was privy to a conversation in the hallway outside of Coach's office that I've never heard before that was just – I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, these games these games mean something every week. Now, did it affect the Chiefs as greatly as it probably would have affected the Bills? No, it probably would have put a, you know, a shot to the heart to the Bills, and all it did really is jockey our, our seating in the playoffs at most – but I, I, I guess I just feel like I think everybody's just grown weary of it, Tommy. I, just, I think everybody's just, like, tired of it. It's like, how, how is it that we have instant replay and we have all of these mechanisms to prevent all of this stuff from happening, yet every week it seems to be happening and nobody's held accountable for it? You get a, league, you get a letter from the league the next day or, or midweek that says, yeah, okay, our officiating crew screwed it up. Sorry, that's not good enough. It's just not good enough. Not not when the stakes are this high and and these guys work so very hard. And and I thought Mahomes, who's probably going to get fined for what he said in his press conference, said it very well. You not only stole a moment from a Hall of Fame tight end that would have been played at his Hall of Fame induction in Canton, Ohio someday. That play would have been played. You not only stole a moment from him, but who's to say Josh Allen wouldn't have come back, won the game, and you stole a moment from him too. Even Josh Allen said after the game it was one of the the greatest plays he's ever seen. So I just think it's the frustration mounting. But to your question, never seen it before ever in the locker room like that. I, yeah, and, and I don't think Kadarius Tony is immune to the blame. We saw Jawan Taylor earlier in the year. They need to do a better job adjusting. I, Dan, just for clarification's sake, are you you're saying – after going back and watching every play, Tony was lined up offside six other times, and did he ask for checks those six times? Because he didn't ask for a check on that play. I only saw still images, Jacob, so I can't say like, – I don't know whether he asked for checks. And look, I, I, I'm definitely not trying to take the blame off of Tony. I just think if, if – I think there were six additional plays where he was lined up at least – to the point where he was on the play they called or greater. 
and no, nothing was ever said. No flag was thrown. Nobody ever did anything. And if they have, you know, to me, again, that's just a consistency issue. And I think the other thing that was frustrating us on game day was the way the calls were going. They were all against the Chiefs, and there was just very little in the Bills. That If you flip a coin and it lands heads, nine out of ten times you'd go, something's wrong with this coin. You know, it should be landing 50-50 or it should be landing 60-40 or maybe at worst 70-30. And it just, it just feels like the whole Carl Sheffers thing needs to be dealt with at the league level. And, and you know, it kind of goes back to like the D Ford situation in 2018 where, yeah, D was over the line. I get it. But he'd been over the line previous to that. And nobody ever said anything. Nobody threw a penalty on those. They wait till they're, they're critical plays that make a game changing difference to throw the flag. That's not where that should be happening. And in particular, this play and again, not to absolve Tony. Tony. Tony's been in the league long enough that he needs to figure that out, right? There's no reason for him to be lining up with that. He's not getting a competitive advantage by putting half a foot over the line, right? It just, it's an insignificant amount. But the pass was thrown to Travis Kelsey. Tony received no competitive advantage from doing that. Yep. So... For, it just seems like a weird time for the guy to throw the flag, and he threw it very late. In my opinion, it was almost kind of an afterthought. So I, I kind of think he thought about it. I don't know. I, I guess I'm reading into it, and I'm, and I'm sounding like I'm just writing an excuse for why they, they got beat by the Bills. That is not it. It's just a frustration. I think everybody's just tired of this referee situation. How in a day and age where we have the technology to do the things that we do, can't we figure this out and, and, and resolve it once and for all? Dan, is it unfair, do you think, to chalk this situation up to – all of the other issues that have been dealt with in the wide receiver room. Is this separate from that in your mind? I mean, I, I read that like if you were to lump this in with all the other wide receiver critical issues over the course of the season, there are four games that either a wide receiver drop or a wide receiver penalty have resulted in the loss of what could have been a game winning touchdown for Kansas city. Can you chalk this one up to the same issues that we've been talking about in that wide receiver room all season long, or do you separate this one from all of that because it had to do with the referees? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't make that connection prior, but I think subconsciously, yeah, you can, you can say that that's a factor. I mean, we were already frustrated at our own performance. And again, Chiefs lost that game. You know, the refs didn't steal it from them. You cannot make a game so close that a referee can take a game from you. That's on you. And that's what Tony did. That's what Rice did when he fumbled. These, these issues are issues. And there is a, a, a large frustration, I know, inside and outside the building, on what's going on. The drops. I, I watched that Marquez Valdez-Scantling interview where he just said, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, we don't catch them every time. That's a lot to me. That's a lack of accountability. Yeah. And you know, he should be sitting on his chair going, that's on me. 
I can't speak for Rasheed Rice. I can't speak for Sky Moore. I can't speak for Kadarius Tony. But as far as MVS goes, I got to catch the balls that are thrown to me. I got to catch the balls that hit both of my hands, and I got to hang on to that ball. I can't turn it over. These turnovers. I'll even. I even think there's been some frustration, guys, with. with Mahomes himself. I don't think Mahomes has had his best year. He has done some really uncharacteristic things. My question, I guess, with that would be, is that because of the what's going on in the white? Is, is it a lack of confidence? And if I throw this ball, what's going to happen to it? I know when I throw it to Kelsey, I'm safe. But if I throw it somewhere else, should I think twice before I throw it? Because, you know, those, those ones he throws in the dirt, that's so un-Mahomes-like. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's been strange. There were several of them, but it it, it does wear. So, like as we look at it, and we see the Dolphins lose last uh, night, fifteen and we yards see, in front of them. Yeah, everybody besides the Ravens continues to stumble, and the Ravens have been the most consistent. We spent our whole first hour talking about if if they're a tier above or not. But either way, if the Chiefs want to go in and be capable of beating any team in the postseason. What one area do you think is the most needed for improvement? The defense hasn't been quite as dominant. They, I, I brought this point up, too, and maybe health is, is a bigger factor than we think. They were missing probably four of their ten best players in that game. So if you had to point to one thing, like what would it be to, to give the Chiefs a chance when we get to the postseason to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I guess. Jacob, I'd say the wide receiver room has got to has got to clean up the the errors because the passing game is so significant for the Chiefs. And when you're talking about having a quarterback the caliber of Mahomes, they have. And, and you know what? Let me back that up. Let's say the passing game, okay? Because again, I think Mahomes is a factor here. Does Mahomes need to not throw, you know, a hundred and three mile an hour fastball? Does he need to back that down to 95 so these guys have a better shot at catching it? Or, you know, what's going on there? That they that connection, the passing game, has got to eliminate these mistakes. I think the one thing I I told you last week is we're in December. We kind of are what we are, and I think we we're going to have to accept we don't have the recovery power to make three and four and five mistakes a game and still come back and win it. We we might be able to make a mistake or or two or maybe even three, but we're not coming back from a big, and he's certainly not going to do that in the playoffs. One mistake could be the end. So I think they've got to figure out a way to eliminate some of the self-inflicted mistakes, the penalties. I even, I'll even give the, the you know, Taylor a, a, a pass on this or the whole offensive line, because to me, the problem isn't the ball not coming out of Mahomes' hands at the right time. The ball's coming out of Mahomes' hands. It's just not being caught it, for whatever reason, whether the pass isn't right, whether the, the, the receiver is dropping the football, the little things that are happening there, and they are fairly insignificant. You know, um, when a receiver catches the ball, he has to become a running back. It's all there is to it. it. It has to go when he's in traffic. He has to protect the ball with, you know, at least three points of contact. If he's not – the way defenses play now in the NFL, they're going to punch that ball out. And they got to know that. And, and, and while you can kind of say, well, Rasheed is on a, a rookie schedule. He's already passed where he would play in college. He's kind of breathing fumes and, 
yeah, maybe, but we've been pitch counting him too, you know, to avoid some of that. Guys like Tony, guys like, you know, you know, Marquette, it's just nothing you can say about MVS. He's been in the league too long to be making some of the mistakes he's made. And I feel like that passing game, the errors in the passing game, they got to eliminate. I think we, we just lost, lost Dan's connection. Um, all right. So I think we lost Dan's connection, and and I think his point is good, and, and it's that passing game. I think I probably agree with that, and I, and I do like his point on more than just, you know, the mistakes by the wide receivers, but altering their game and, and for Mahomes to, you know, not miss throws. And and I get I get why that's happening to some degree. Uh, I think we – Dan, do we still have you? Uh, I'm here. Yeah, you okay, okay. Yep. Yeah, I dipped out. Okay. Go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, so, Dan, I, I mentioned this yesterday, and, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So the one thing that I think is going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit from all the controversy in the game on Sunday is the fact that the last three weeks, the Chiefs have not gotten out to good starts in their games. They've found themselves down 14 nothing against the Raiders, 14-6 to at halftime against the Packers, and then 14-0 to against the Bills. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about this team getting out to good starts, but then not being able to score any points in the second half. So to me, it seems like they're having a really difficult time stringing together a complete four quarters of offensive output. And I know that the passing game and the issues, the self-inflicted penalties, all of that, those are all things that play into that. But if this is a team that wants to make a run in the postseason, do you see any kind of way that you know they can overcome this and actually be able to play a full 60 minutes of football? Well, I, I do think, you know, if you if you if I gave you an honest answer about Sunday's game, as frustrated as the refing was, as frustrated as, as the mistakes were, I really feel like where we lost that game was going three and out after, you know, we had another opportunity to possess the ball. That has to stop. The, the three and outs where you've just got not stalled drives, but completely ineffective drives, I just don't see how you could get through the playoffs in that kind of scenario. And I feel like this year, I, maybe I should do the stats and, and, you know, do the numbers on this, but I feel like this year we've had an inordinate amount of three, three and outs. I mean, teams are getting Patrick Mahomes off the field. Defenses are getting Patrick Mahomes off the field in ways they didn't used to do that. And, and, and they do need to figure that out because you can't have your defense out there, you know, 35 and 40 minutes. You can't have them playing 10, 15 more snaps than what, you know, they're really built for. And so I feel like that ineptness or, or that inability to kind of just keep a drive going is one thing that's really changed. And I think that's part of what leads into not being able to recover from mistakes. All right, Dan. Well, listen, uh, the schedule softens up. The Chiefs need to go and let the schedule cures what ails them. We know after watching Monday Night Football last night that that's easier said than done. We know after watching the Patriots beat the Steelers uh, last Thursday that that's easier said than done. But it needs to be done maybe now more than ever for the Chiefs, that they need some get-right games here, and they're going to have a chance to do it. 
Yeah, the, this Patriots contest, you know, I mean, everybody talks about the challenge coming in. Look, I know Bill Belichick's going to have something planned, but the Chiefs, this should be a good confidence builder for the Chiefs. They should be able to go out and play, uh, I don't want to say a soft game because that's not fair. I mean, you'll lose in the NFL if you do that. You can't overlook a team. But if they go out and they play their ball, there's nothing extraordinary that needs to happen. We have plenty of talent on this team to beat the New England Patriots, in my opinion. I agree. You'll hear the game. It's a noon game, those rare noon games for the Chiefs. You'll hear it with us on the Chiefs Radio Network. Dan will be in on that. Dan, we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see how this team responds with that kind of fire and energy after the game. It'll it'll be a big it'll be a big week emotionally, I think. Yeah, and I think that's important too, Jacob. I I I think that's the one thing you need is a gritty locker room because adversity is part of this game. And you know, First time the Chiefs have lost back-to-back in a while, right? So how they respond is really important. Appreciate the therapy from you guys today. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's really been helpful. <laughs> no problem, Dan. We've been doing a lot of that this week. We've been, we've been, uh, we've been <laughs> there for, <laughs> for, for the folks. All right, Dan, we'll talk again next week. We appreciate it, and uh, have a good call this weekend. All right, guys, appreciate it. Go Chiefs. There goes Dan Israel. Uh, we'll get into some of what he had to say there. We'll get into Shohei Otani when we return as well. Let's take a quick break. Let's roll forward. Getting a lot accomplished. This is a busy Tuesday uh, after a wild and crazy Monday Night Football. But, man, this we got to get into this Otani. And I do want to touch on a couple of things Dan said there. So we'll take our quick break. We'll come back. All Brockton Caster at Sports Daily rolling forward. Sports Daily is on KFH. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily. Uh, good stuff there. I think, you know, Dan's initial frustration, and, and, and there, this has basically been the conversation nationwide as this has become a bit of a pop culture thing uh, with, with the explosion of Mahomes on the sideline, just because we've never seen it. I think I told somebody that asked me about this yesterday. I, I, I get both sides. I get the, yeah, don't line up offside, Tony. Totally get that. I also get Reed and Mahomes' frustration in that when you've done a certain thing a certain way under certain like guidelines your entire career and then that changes on a dime – and it just happened to do it on on a play that you've probably been working on all year. I also get the frustration there. Not not. And I don't think anybody's intending it to be an excuse. Just that when you operate normally under the fact that an official will back you off the line, then when that doesn't happen that one time in that one circumstance, that could be frustrating. I understand why they're frustrated at that. If I put myself in their shoes, so you know, it's it's tough. I, I it's it's a. It, and Andy Reid didn't totally back off yesterday. He he cooled it down a little bit, but his point still reigned true that, you know, when you do things a certain way for so long, if you're going to change it, tell me you're going to change it. That was how he furthered it yesterday. Like, he has a working relationship where, 
historically, if there's an issue, an official will tell him, hey, this has got to change before they go wait until that moment in a game to do something like that. My problem with that entire argument is that it takes away attention from the real issues that are plaguing the Chiefs. It takes away attention. It takes away time to try to work on these things. You know, all the self-inflicted issues. Let me ask you this, Wayson. If this was a one-off issue, right, if this wasn't a chronic issue for that wide receiver room and we saw this as, like, the first time, I I get what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. If it was a one-off and everything else has been working flawlessly and there haven't been these issues. Right. Or at least at normal. Right. Yeah. Then then focus on the referee's egregious call and all of that, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there have been so many other things, and Dan touched on them, the issues in the wide receiver room and the dropped passes and the self-inflicted mistakes, the turnovers, the three and outs, the you know the, the fact that the, the offense can't get things going. I mean, all these different things are real and legitimate, and they are controlled in your own environment, Right. They're controlled in practices. They're controlled in walkthroughs. They're controlled in all the preparation that you make week in and week out. You can't control what the referees do. And I'm not saying that Andy Reid doesn't have a right to be upset if there was a certain way that, you know, he was used to things going and then that wasn't the way that it ended up in that critical penalty. I'm not saying he doesn't have a right for that. I'm just saying that it takes away attention and time that you could be spending working on some of these issues that are really hurting the Chiefs right now. Yeah, um, I, I agree. We'll see how it motivates them. They're a team that uses motivation well, uh, but Mahomes and Kelsey can only get so motivated, right? It, it's going to take some extra motivation and some extra finding something down deep from the other guys too. All right, let's talk about Shohei Otani. So we get the details of his contract yesterday and when you talk about deferrals, that's an understatement. Basically, I don't know what the percentage is, but all but $2 million every year of this deal is deferred until after the deal is done. And so what it's done is not go against the luxury tax for about the 3%, Dodgers. About 3%, by more, the way. It's about 3%. 3%. But more importantly, it allows the Dodgers to use some of that money, and this is why Otani did this, and we knew that before we knew the numbers, to go still be able to get other players. I saw some people think, oh, my God, this is cheating, this is whatever, and I'm like, no, it's not. Baseball does this all the time, just not to this magnitude, and it would be different if there were a salary cap and you were skating the cap that way. Baseball doesn't have a salary cap, so it's irrelevant, right? Like, the Dodgers are basically deferring the money to where the money is closer to where, you know, the market will be, and assuming, I assume, some growth and all of these things and payroll and everything where it won't probably limit them as much later, but it limits them none at all now. And I, I, good on Otani for doing it. I mean, every team in baseball would do this if they had the opportunity, but good on Otani for doing it because he just he knows he's going to have his endorsement money and all that stuff. He doesn't really care, and, and he wants to win. If you ever, if you ever doubted that before— Otani wants to win more than anything else. Yeah, look, it's it's not cheating, you know, the way that, that you mentioned. Some people think that it is, but it is certainly a loophole, right? It is it is certainly oh, a way, absolutely. you know, that the Dodgers but and Otani operates in loopholes. Absolutely, yeah. and if there was a, you know, full fledged, pretty solid salary cap, then it would be a different situation. But you know, I know one of the biggest issues in baseball is the conversation between the big market teams and the competitive imbalance with the smaller market teams. This is another example of that. I understand why people are frustrated by all of this, 
But the Dodgers and Otani did nothing wrong in this. It's the way that the, the rules are written and the fact that this is the way that it was collectively bargained between the owners and the players. I mean, they collectively bargained the way that baseball is set up with no salary cap and all of that. You know, this the luxury tax was a way to sort of try to balance things out a little bit. But if the Dodgers are deferring all this money, they'll still stay under the luxury tax, even with having Otani and Freeman and bets on their roster. Well, and the reality is there's such a well-run organization. It's different than the Yankees or the Mets or the you know Red Sox or somebody because they just – maybe the Red Sox are a bad example. They'll have enough good young players if history holds through that they can eat that money too because they homegrown so much of their talent. The, 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 you're never going to solve this because these things are good for both the players and the teams. So, like, the inequity that exists is only bad for the fans. The players are going to be for it. The teams are going to be for it. And therefore, other than, you know, the, if you want to call it integrity of the game or, or, or whatever you want to call it, that's the only, like, that's what baseball is going to have to do. But it's going to have to change it despite what the players and owners want. And that's why it's almost impossible to see any anything changing. Now, I will also say, when was the last time the biggest spender won a World Series? The Rangers spent a lot of money collectively over two years, right? But like the Mets or the Padres or these teams that just try and push all their chips in, that hasn't worked tremendously well in recent history. You know that it buys you a shot, basically, but it's far from a guarantee. And that's just because that's the way baseball is. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't – the Diamondbacks were in the World Series last year. Right. So I don't want to overreact either to this because baseball has a way in the, in, in the nature of the way that it's played and that one individual player will never have that big of an impact because they can only bat one out of every nine times or pitch every one out of five days or six if it's Otani. So, but from a revenue standpoint, is. from a merchandising standpoint, from, you know, attendance, ticket sales, all of that, I mean, it's, it's through the roof. The one thing, and I don't have my source uh, on this, but I did see after he signed that Vegas, the over-under on Dodger wins, I think it went from 94 wins as the line before Otani signed to like 97 and a half. And so I thought about it, and I was like, and this was before I knew about the deferrals, and I thought, man, is $70 million next year worth three and a half wins, according to Vegas? And then I realized that, you know, a lot of that money was being deferred, and it's really $2 million. Yeah, I think $2 million is absolutely worth three and a half wins. And then all of the other revenue streams that come in, you know, because of Otani, that it's completely separate from the wins and losses on the field. So, I mean, it's a multi-pronged thing, right? Like, that was the biggest reason why well, maybe not the biggest reason these teams want world championships, but a byproduct of that for all of these teams was all the money that they're going to be able to make having Otani on their team. It, 100%. They're, the Dodgers are not, they're not going to lose money on this deal um, unless something catastrophic happens. They will earn this money. They'll raise their prices, I'm sure. Uh, they'll continue to have the highest attendance in baseball. And they just opened up their marketing and merchandising to an entire nation now, and really probably an entire region of the planet in a way that they weren't before. They are not going to lose money on the Otani deal. Again, 
of outside of catastrophe. They're not going to, no matter what he does on the field. And I saw uh, people I comparing this deferral situation to the Bobby Bonilla situation with the Mets and how they're paying right. him out every year for like the next 50 years or whatever. And I understand, you know, like there, you could probably draw a, a few comparisons as far as the financials are concerned a little bit with the deferrals, but I mean, you, you're not even comparing the players like Otani versus Bonilla. It's apples and oranges. It's not even the same. I wonder if there are mechanisms and triggers in place too on this, like where the Dodgers could say, we're pretty good on our roster. We don't really feel like we can do ourselves much better by going to spend a bunch of money this year. Well, let's pay you your full 70. And so that reminds me, and the, what makes me think of that is the way, you know, some of the great quarterbacks have had such flexible contracts. Mahomes has one now. Tony Romo famously had one. Tom Brady had one at times. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that this contract will be the exact same when it's over as it is right, right now. Like, I, I think I would bet restructuring is probably going to be happening yeah. and that sort of thing. Because if the Dodgers are set and they're deep and they continue to do what they've done, there could absolutely be years where they're like, we really don't need to go spend. Let, here, let's let's pay you your full salary this year and, and we'll get it off our books. You can have the money. Great. I would imagine those are in place. That's what happens in the NFL. And in the NFL, by the way, with the salary cap, stuff like this happens all the time. Kirk Cousins is on like a dead contract with the Vikings, even though he may not play there for one or two years. So teams do this kind of thing all the time. The, the difference is it's not going to hurt the Dodgers, whereas it would hurt, you know, an NFL team trying to do this or whatever. It ain't going to hurt the Dodgers one bit. It won't affect them at all. It probably wouldn't have affected them either way. Like, they probably could have just absorbed the yearly salary one way or the other. But at least now they don't have to pay the taxes on it. And and, and this is not like federal taxes. This is taxes. I thought Speaking about the other Speaking of federal taxes, too. did you see the breakdown yeah. of what Otani's paying? Yeah. He'll make half of, less than half, Less right? than half. It's like 47%. So, when I saw that, it and and he'll be just fine, right? But it did make me wonder. Like, so the Rangers are in a tax-free state. I believe the isn't Washington, the state of Washington, oddly a tax-free state. I think it is, and Florida, Florida. certainly is. Yeah. Of course, you know the Marlins aren't going to be in on Otani or the Rays, but the Rangers were at a moment. So if he's making forty-seven percent, which is you know a little less than half, so let's call it three hundred forty million. You don't have a state tax in Texas. You certainly don't have a really high state tax like you do in California. That got interesting when I thought about it. So, like, if you're making that pitch, and they almost certainly do, and you're like, look, yeah, you can sign for $700 million there. You're keeping 350 Come sign for $500 million right. here and keep, you know, 400 How does it work in Canada? Like, I don't know what the – what I mean, like, with I don't Toronto. I don't, my, I don't know how that works. My guess is – and I'm not, a, I'm not a, an astute geopolitician – but I would guess their taxes are probably pretty high up in, up north of the border. You're probably right. I, and, I, and I don't and I don't know what you know. I don't know what how their provinces you know may tax or not differently. I don't know if it's a, if it's the same kind of setup. I have no idea. I also don't know how you know how does the dollar convert and all those things. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that. But I do know that you don't pay a state tax in Texas and you pay one of the highest in California. So that's interesting. Uh, Florida wouldn't have been a factor. God, I think. Washington might be tax-free, which made Seattle a little bit interesting, but it, it's crazy. And the other part of it that we haven't really talked about, and we can spend a couple of minutes and we'll talk the K-State news of yesterday in the next segment, is the contract itself at $70 million. Is it worth it? Is he a $70 million a player a year, a year player? And the reality is, based on the market, he he is. 
And that's what's crazy about this. When I first saw it, I thought the same thing as everybody. He'll never live up to it, which no, none of these players are ever going to live up to their massive contracts. You, and teams know that, right? You're trying to get enough good years at the front of it to justify it, and you know you're going to eat it on the back end. That's just the way the market works. But if you look at it, and we wondered this, I remember pondering all of this when, when his impending free agency chatter first started, and it was like, well, I mean, he's kind of a $40 million a year hitter and a $30 million a year pitcher. Do you just put them together and make 70? No, they won't do that. It'll probably come in under. But that is what happened. And if you look at the market around him, it's totally justifiable. Is he the, the biggest yearly contract right now, I believe, is Aaron Judge, right at around $40 million. Okay, so is he as good a hitter as Aaron Judge? Even if you say no, the next highest is Anthony Rendon at $35 million per year. We're talking about just per year. Is he a better hitter than Rendon? Yes, he is. So he's somewhere between $35 and $40 million. As a pitcher, this is where it gets really interesting. So the two highest paid pitchers right now in baseball on an annual basis are the age Otani will be when he's done with his contract, both of whom have had various injuries over their careers. If you look at guys that aren't that old and and maybe a more comparable age with significant injury risk, if you consider Otani significant injury risk right now, I think he'd fall somewhere under significant but over moderate, right? Jacob deGrom got $37 million with significant injury risk. So... And I would be willing to bet like Nola or Jordan Montgomery, they're going to get like $30 million this year. So somewhere between 30 and $44 million a year. Is Otani worth that as a pitcher? I would say his numbers would indicate even every sixth day, yes, that yes, he is. So really, because he does both things, you're, you're, you can easily justify the value based on the market he brings as a hitter and as a pitcher. And you get to $70 million and it kind of makes sense. It's like the Dodgers went out and signed two big-time free agents because that's kind of what they did. And remember, the value extends more than just on the field. It extends more well, than just I, the wins just and the losses. About, I'm just talking I know, about on But the I'm field. saying that if there are any criticisms of the amount of money that he's receiving, yeah, I get oh, it, like the, the wins and losses. But, there, I mean, it's yeah. a great investment from a financial standpoint just for the Dodgers. Our, uh, our crack researcher, Max Power, just handed me this. Uh, as of 2023, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming are the only states that do not levy a state income tax. Washington does levy a state capital gains tax on certain high earners. So those are the only states that do uh, do not have a state income tax. Yeah, Texas, I, I wish I could, I, I wish and we'll never see it, what Texas's best offer was versus the Dodgers. My guess is Texas wasn't getting up in that $500 million range or they would have been a player long because they bowed out relatively early. So that would make me believe that – no. And, and look, if Otani's willing to defer all that money, he also has a grasp of his right. uh, off-the-field value. And, and being in L.A. with that organization, I would argue – Maybe even for him, more than the Yankees would be as lucrative a yeah. place as he could be. I mean, the Mariners would have been interesting with the the income tax in, in the state of Washington. Uh, I, it would have never happened because of the way that they have built their team and their payroll and all of that. But with the athletics moving to Vegas, Nevada is one of those states as well. They would never would have paid Shohei that. But in Vegas, 
that would have been interesting. I, again, that never would have happened. But, you know, there were some other opportunities there. And it was interesting looking at the way that the taxes would break down for him in California because, yeah, it was less than 50% for Shohei that he's actually netting. Poor guy. I just can't. And, and that's the other crazy thing, too, like thinking about, like, how much of that comes in in a decade? Like, what what a strange dynamic it all is with Shohei Otani. All right, let's spend just a few minutes, and we will get more into this throughout the week, K-State fans, but a couple of significant items yesterday. First, Kobe Savage uh, enters the transfer portal. I, 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 I gather that there had been some chatter about that, Tommy, but you're talking about a team captain, a leader on that defense. And I don't know if it should be like a red flag or something, but it is a little bit strange. Like, what would make him want to do that now? And the only reason I say that is it makes me wonder, like, where K-State is. They've had, like, 19 transfers this year. Are they maintaining competition in a competitive nature through the NIL is what this sort of makes me start to wonder about. Yeah, that was my first question, too. And and I think that we – I think I asked Fitzgerald, Tim Fitzgerald, about that last week or two weeks ago uh, on the show about, you know, whether or not there are issues with NIL at Kansas State. And, I, you know, I think that there's, you know, maybe – and, I again, I don't know. I don't have any inside information on this. But I wouldn't think that there are – like internal issues, like locker room issues and things like that. I've not heard anything about that. So when you're trying to draw conclusions, I wonder if there are NIL issues. And, you know, I think that speculation will continue to grow as you've got more players that are entering the portal. That's a a tough one. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. So you've got a team captain, right? So it's not somebody that's unhappy, you wouldn't think, or anything like that. Like, that's the only thing that I can think to think of they're going to have a great chance to win the big 12 next year you'd imagine like so i i don't know maybe maybe it's a chance to get home closer to texas and maybe there's an opportunity somewhere to try to win a national championship i don't know uh but that was interesting and then sort of late last night early this morning we get word or see that naquan tomlin looks like he's headed to play with penny at memphis that to me makes Probably more sense than, you know, the one we all wondered about down the road in Lawrence for Naquan Tomlin anyway, because Kansas totally could have used him. But I do think being a more featured player does make more sense for a guy that's trying to get into the NBA and Penny's draw to the NBA is obvious. Yeah, that that one makes sense. I mean, as far as the prospects that he will have to come in and contribute right away. We talked about it yesterday. Number one, raising his draft stock. And then number two, being able to be a featured player right away in a program. You know, I would imagine, and it went pretty quick from what it sounded like, that he went and visited Memphis and then kind of signed right away. You know, so whatever that pitch was from Penny Hardaway, you know, it probably a lot of it was, hey, I've got a lot of NBA connections and we can help you get to that next level. Yeah, and and an opportunity to make us better and for you to get some some run here. Uh, I have not seen Memphis yet this year, in all honesty. I have not watched them play a second of basketball. I think this they've season. been a little disappointing from looking at, you know, the way that their their schedule has played out so far. There were a couple of losses that I know that they had early on uh, that that weren't, you know, particularly good for them. Looking at their uh, their schedule, they've they've won a couple in a row, but they lost to Ole Miss. They lost to Villanova. Um, you know, they did beat Michigan. They beat Arkansas. Uh, they beat A and M. 
you know, so that there are some wins there that are on their resume that look pretty good, um, but also a couple of losses just last week that were back-to-back that weren't as good for them. Which would lend me to say why it makes sense, because he can probably help them, which means he'll get playing time and whatever. So uh, good for Naquan Tomlin. We're glad he landed somewhere. Glad he landed somewhere where we'll get to see him play, because uh, we will start to pay attention to Memphis with Wichita State, but... And, and by the way, I, Wichita State, I guess. Yeah, I want to mention really quickly another K-State note. I read yesterday that Will Howard has taken a visit to Miami. Uh, and it doesn't, I don't, I don't think he's committed anywhere, but at least visited the Miami Hurricanes. Could be a potential destination for him to transfer to. Well, we know they have NIL money, so good for Will Howard. I hope he goes and earns and has all the success in the world. All right. We'll come back. We'll tell you what's on tap the rest of the day as we wrap up this Tuesday edition of Sports Daily.